Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Here we are in the bleachers. It's been a good couple of weeks. Uh, we gave everybody what they were asking for last week, that ALCS preview with our good friend Todd Cowles. I'm sure we'll probably make his way onto our podcast later on. But it's been a lot of fun to do these podcasts, and it's been pretty painful to watch some of these postseason games. So I don't know if you've been watching, but it has been rough. And I know that, uh, you know, with our St. Arnold, what's on tap? Guess what's going to be on tap? Some of the misery and meltdown of the Houston Astros. But if you've been watching both sides, both Dodgers, Braves, because there's really interesting things going on in the postseason right now. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been watching, and uh, and I think it's uh, interesting. I mean, you did talk about our preview show with TK, but uh, Todd, pretty much, I think all of us, after if you look at the totality of what we put forth there, uh, I think is coming to fruition. Uh, we, of course, <laughs> didn't talk about the Dodgers-Braves as much, and I think that probably has a lot to do with, um, you know, they always talk about the West Coast or East Coast bias or SEC bias in football, like college football, and nobody watches, like, the Pac-12 at night. But, man, I think people have been missing out on the Braves pitching staff because that's what's yeah. really jumped out to me. No, that's definitely been one of those things that's jumped out to me, too. It's been really interesting because they're fly, kind of flying under the radar. They've lost, uh, you know, Soraka. They had a couple of guys in the rotation. But it's actually uh, brought to the forefront that uh, they have uh, Mark Melanson as their closer. I, that was a guy that I played with in Houston who was just kind of a trade piece and then could have been a back-end guy, wasn't a back-end guy, went to the Giants – and then eventually finds his way to Atlanta to do a very good job. So that's a lot of fun. We'll talk about the Braves maybe a little bit. We're going to talk a lot about the Astros and Rays because that's what a lot of a lot of people are focused on. We've also got something that we should not be taught. Well, we can talk about now because we are no longer in a clubhouse. And one of the things that shocked me was a quote from Dusty Baker, and it's mm. the thing. We will try and wrap our minds, if we can, around the thing now that we don't have to worry about throwing anything <laughs> because it has uh, pretty detrimental effects on what you're able to do with your arm. Um, I've got some big news later on in, in Blum's brief blast. Uh, you're going to want to stick around for that. It's going to be highly entertaining and not even Tuttle. Tuttle's going to be shocked by it. I'll just give you that. Uh, we may talk a little bit about, uh, yep, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. All right, uh, I'm ready. Um, it's, a, it's a good surprise. Uh, maybe a little bit about, he's talking about surprises, Dak Prescott's broken ankle. My God, tragic injury, uh, had a huge effect on the NFL. And uh, hopefully we have some Waddle Tuttle say, you know, but uh, right now we're just going to say thank you to World's Strongest Man CBD because they are sponsoring, they are the title sponsor of the Bleacher Blums podcast. I am grateful for them because I actually got on, I'm actually running out of my tincture. And I actually talked to a parent, a volleyball parent of mine, another big dude like me, works out, but also maybe struggled a little bit with sleep. And we both, uh, you know, the first question we asked each other, do you know about CBD? Uh, what, you know, what companies have you tried? And I told him about the world's strongest man, CBD, but the tincture for me has actually been a very calming effect in getting me to go to bed. And then I told him about the uh, soft gel caps that I've been taking every morning to get laser freaking focused on the day. And it's been very good. So all of you out there who want to bring out that elite athlete and you're worried about the farm to shelf traceability, 
world's strongest man has absolutely just perfected the process process to get you the perfect product. Um, I'm a believer in it. I've been using it. Tuttle's been using it. WSMCBD.com. Uh, Tuttle, I don't know if you have any, uh, if you want to give a testimonial, so to speak, but I just wanted to kind of give everybody an idea of what we're at, what I'm actually taking. And, it, and it's been highly beneficial for me. Yeah, I've actually just started the tincture a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I think uh, I'm on board with the sleep piece, but uh, I'm more the salve and the gel guy, the cooling gel. I can't get away from Well, you from work out harder than I do. You know, you actually <laughs> do a lot, a lot harder work than I do, so you need some of the salves and lotions, man. There you go. That's probably fair enough. Uh, and, and the harder you work out, typically the easier it is to sleep. So I don't find myself struggling for sleep either, but I have True. found that calming effect is great. And and I think you already brought up the key point, which is um, when we started taking supplements or when, uh, you know, steroids was part of baseball, they get started getting into the, uh, you know, is this something Great I can point. put in my body and I won't fail any tests. And so when you know it's farm to shelf, like you said, um, and you know where it comes from and it's, you know, monitored and, uh, and regulated, uh, uh, then, you know, you know, it's nothing to worry about, as you said, to bring out that elite athlete in you if you're getting tested for uh, substances, things like that. So I've, I've yep. found that it's great so far. Like I said, my two big go-tos are the salve. I've been rubbing the salve on my knee and then uh, the cooling gel. But, uh, you know, haven't, haven't had any, uh, any problems with it at all so far. And we are, as you said, super grateful for, uh, for them to sponsor the podcast. And hopefully, as you said, there are more athletic parents out there that you're going to run to do at volleyball and myself at soccer and or other events where, uh, where we can have the conversation because WSM CBD is uh, the place to go get it. Absolutely. WSMCBD.com. Check them out. Salves, lotions, creams, soft gels, tinctures, get what you need and get it done. They're there for you. And we also want to give a shout out to Crush City Tees. They're the ones who give us all of our swag on our website at bleacherblums.com. Obviously, I'm going for the luck of the Irish to try and help the Astros turn things around. Uh, maybe we'll be talking about them next week. Maybe not the way things are going. But it is election season, and it's gross. It's ugly. It's, it's fantastically the most epic car train wreck you've ever seen in your life. And if you're looking for somebody to get behind, if you're looking for a campaign that you really want to dig into and can believe in, Make sure you go to bleacherblums.com or crushcitytees.com and pick up your Bleacher Blums 2020 t-shirt because that is something we can all get behind. That is a campaign we all believe in. Hence, our motto for our campaign is believe it. You can get your red or you can get your blue, but make sure you're on the campaign trail with Bleacher Blums. Nice. Gosh, you sound like a, you're like an auctioneer here. I mean, this is good stuff. And uh, we do, like you said, appreciate Crush City Tees for putting those together for us. I mean, what better ticket than a Blum Tuttle ticket, right? I mean, it's either Biden, Harris, Trump, Pence, or Blum Tuttle. I like that better. Blum Tuttle rolls off the tongue. So folks, get behind it. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's going to bring us right into the meltdown we talked about. The American League Championship Series. We had the preview last week with Todd Callis. The first game actually went the way that TK and I would think it would go. If a tight game, it's going to edge towards the Tampa Bay Rays. We saw a little bit of an implosion last night in game three. Tuttle, first impressions. Give me all of your thoughts that you have on this ALCS. We'll try and unpack what's going on because there's a lot of good pitching. Actually, there's very good pitching on both sides. There have been – there's actually, if you look at it in a broad scope, there's been good hitting. Certain situations, not so good. And then the defense, my gosh, 
that talk about a tale of two teams, but go ahead and give me a breakdown, your breakdown, the total breakdown of the ALCS that we're seeing right now between the Astros and Rays. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I think, um, I think key is, you know, you, you mentioned before, uh, you know, maybe I bring the fan fandom to this. I mean, you and TK certainly yeah. have a, a vested interest and you're kind of focused on one team. I will say, um, you talk, we talk about pitching and defense and the implosion, I guess that's definitely from the Astros perspective that it's been an implosion, but I think the Dodgers clubhouse is probably thinking the same thing. Certainly not Ooh, maybe the players, but you know, I'm out here on the left coast thinking, man, the Dodgers were certainly the favorites to win the world series and they were going into this series high and mighty. And I By bet they're lot. thinking, man, yeah, they're thinking the same thing. The Astros are thinking. Um, a couple of things that we talked about uh, before. The Astros are the more experienced team. They look like it. Um, they're very comfortable. I thought the first game, I mean, they had more hard hit balls, things like that. But as TK pointed out, the two to one game does not favor the Astros just because of the way the pitching sets up. We talked about this on the preview show. I mean, 100 mile an hour mm -hmm. pitchers, a different pitcher every inning. That just makes it really difficult, right? Yeah, nasty stuff. So, I think that's fine. But as you said, game two and game three were not those. They started out with, you know, early home runs from Altuve and whatnot. But I think just being a lifelong baseball fan and, and, a, and, a, and a connoisseur of maybe watching athletics on TV, uh, like all of us believe we are, an opinionator, I, uh, I think it's interesting because um, defense wins championships. I mean, they say that in the NBA, we've seen it with Trent Dilfer, the quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens, right? Like defense yeah, won championships. It's, it's all year. over sports. It's, those are even, great examples. Right. Even, even when Peyton Manning won with the Broncos, I think they thought, yeah. you know, the defense carried him to the, uh, to the Super Bowl. And I think, you know, we talk about pitching and defense in baseball, but in this case, uh, the one thing that we, I think missed in our preview show is that the starting rotation, although not, you know, having big names, when you look at Valdez and you look at McCullers and you look at what Arquiti did, I mean, they've, they've lived up to, you know, beyond oh, expectations, yeah. right? Getting you into the fourth, fifth, sixth inning, maybe giving up one run. I mean, McCullers, again, that goes to the defense. Like he was lights yeah. out, but a three run homer after an error. Um, you know, I know those, I don't know. I knew pitchers that were like, Hey, once that error was made, it was like, I don't care how many runs they give up because they're all unearned, but I know McCullers didn't have that approach, <laughs> but, uh, but you what know, a that, crazy but, way to look at it. Well, you know, I, it's the same, I, I guess it's the, the flip side it's of that. The one that you're just trying to salvage, you know, your mentality. You're like, okay, it's not going on my, on my baseball card. <laughs> right. Just focus in and get this in. Yeah. And I, it's, it's kind of the flip side of those guys you played with that calculated their batting average on the ground ball oh, the second on the way those down. Those guys the are first. out there. So there are guys out there that do that. The playoffs are a little different, and I'm certainly not implying that Lance McCullers was thinking that. Usually, actually, a good competitive guy is like, all right, I'm going to pick my teammate up after a situation like that. That's so, more what it seemed like, yeah. Right, and I was just trying to, you know, I guess trying to provide some levity. But I think when we get to the defense, I mean, this is the glaring thing is that the Tampa, I mean, let's not even just point out Altuve. Let's point out the Rays defense. I mean, the plays that they've made and some of the balls that were hit. It's like, I, you know, I was listening to some of it on the radio and, and Sparks is like, oh, he hit it well. He's back to the track, back to the track. Oh, it's caught right two feet before the track. So you have that going on. Full deflation. Like Wendell at third base. I mean, every play is like a are you diving. Are you talking ball. about Brooks Wendell? Yeah, Brooks. There you go, Brooks Wendell, or uh, or uh, or what's his first name? Wendell down there. Is it? Oh, I don't know. But I don't know. I want to call him Turk Wendell, uh, the guy I faced Schmidt. back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike Schmidt Wendell down there. Like, 
What is How come we can't on? remember his first name? We're, we're terrible. Know. That's all right. I'm going to look it up. It's probably Gary or something. Gary John. Wendell. Anyway, so, <laughs> ahead, so my point, but, but my point is they have made the plays, obviously, and the Astros haven't. And you can get upset about a bunch of different things. But we saw both times that Altuve made his error, three-run homer right after. Yesterday, an error. Ah, Joey Wendell. There you go. So Joey, jo- Joey Smith, Smith. <laughs> or Joey Robinson, or like you said, I mean, he he has looked phenomenal down there, and 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 uh, Ho Chi Minh over there. It's not Ho Chi Minh, Man Choi. What's <laughs> what's his name? Oh, we're going down. We're going down in a big way. <laughs> I've got the stats right. G Man Choi. G Man Choi. Ho Chi Minh. G Man Choi. That sounds. That sounds. We are in trouble. We no, do not. <laughs> this shows how much we're paying attention. My point is they're making play. They are making crazy plays. Oh, they're standing on their head. Yeah. I mean, they, so, they are Kelly Rudy in the mid-80s right now making every play. That's right. So, so G-Man Choice picking every bad throw or every, every play over there. And like you said, Joey Wendell's making all the plays. But that has been the difference. That's the difference. That and the two glaring errors. And I think the, the, the part that you're going to get to and back it up with some t- statistics is that, you know, Altuve's errors are just errors. But we talked about in the uh, what's on tap, the, the thing, right? And yep. that's, that could be there. But the fact that nobody says anything to him and nobody's making a big deal about it sometimes makes it a bigger deal. And I think, you know, if you just say, hey, it's all right, it's an error, let's play it off. But I think now it's becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger thing. I mean, if – yeah, go ahead. No, we'll get to that when we start talking about the thing. But the only, what makes what makes the error worse is when that run when the error scores. Do you know what I mean? So that base runner turns into that error, and I know this because I've made errors. And one of my biggest fears was, you know, that watching that guy go from first base to second base to third base and eventually touch home. And I'm going, damn it! You know, every infielder yeah. or every guy that makes an error knows. They, that's not on the pit. That is literally on me because I could not make the play, whether it was a tough play, easy play, whatever the play was. Yeah. It, 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 it is. It, and it gets in your head too, because you're sitting there going, God, just hit the ball to me again. Just hit the ball to me again. And when you don't get the baseball and then the three run home runs hit, and then you're like, son of uh, if I, then this is where it seeps in and really takes hold. And maybe we'll get a little more in depth of it when we talk about it, but it grabs hold and you go, that was my fault when you can actually pinpoint the problem that's where it really kind of you know infects itself and can spread in your brain but just getting back to what we were talking about I've always said that there's three things that championships championship teams do and not only do they do it in the postseason it's extra special when they do it in the postseason because that means you've been doing it for a while and you've actually created that foundation of how to play the game or the the you know, the identity of your team. But I think Kevin Cash, knowing that he has to get guys to overachieve, like we're seeing the Rays do right now, especially on defense, is you have to pitch well, you've got to have timely hitting, and you've got to have uh, superior defense. And right now, man, you know, even if, you, even if there aren't errors made by the Astros, <laughs> the Rays' defense is ridiculous. Joey Wendell, I did not see him playing a third base like this in the regular season. So all of a sudden, he is, he's at peak level. Uh, G-Man Choi and I believe Yandy Diaz is another guy. They're kind of switching off at first base. Like you said, they're making ridiculous picks. You know, that there was a play yesterday on a backhand by Willie Adonis, 
and Yandi's over there, and he caught the thing behind him. You know, it wasn't even like a natural pick. It was just like, what? Right. All of a sudden, it's in my, you know, in my glove. So those guys are doing it. Kiermaier, you know, he's an outs well, above he's, average king, platinum, yeah. gold glove guy. So you, you know he's going to make the play. But it has been ridiculous. And to your point, they have had the most hard-hit baseballs. They aren't striking out the most. They're putting the ball in play. It's just the GPS, the, the GPS for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays is greater than the ability of the Astros to hit the ball hard. They're, they're in the right position every single time. That's the only way you make some of those plays. Yeah. But – one thing I wanted to get to, and you know, the, the pitching has been key for both uh, the Astros and Rays. And I, I agree with you. The Astros have done a very good job. Uh, the top two teams in pitching in, this, in the championship series have been the Astros and Rays. Tampa Bay Rays are leading the American League uh, post or all of postseason. No, all of the American League championship series with a 1.67 ERA. Astros right behind them with a 2.52. Now that take you take into account those errors, that's where the errors come in and actually make that ERA great, but the errors add to those unearned runs. So the on-base percentage, now let's get down to the nitty-gritty where everybody gets so fired up. They're like, damn it, the Astros couldn't come through. I even tweeted out after game two. I said son of a and I put up the emoji with the, you know, the red face and the the you know the the asterisks and you know hashtag across my mouth because I wanted to say, son of a bitch, man, there were so many missed opportunities. The on-base percentage for the Astros. These guys are on-base kings. Uh, they are at 346 in this championship series. In comparison, the Tampa Bay Rays, who are winning the series three games to none, their on-base percentage 276. So they're 70 points better at getting on base than the Tampa Bay Rays. The problem is it creates more opportunities to drive in runs. And guess what? This is where the discrepancy is. And you're going to be trip out on this because in, with runners in scoring position, the Astros are four for 24. The Rays, they're only five for 21, but the batting average goes from 167 to 238, and that's where you find the difference in the wins versus the losses, the ability to put across that run. So you figure if the Astros get one or two more hits, this might be a completely different series when you add in the errors. So with two outs, you get a little more clutch. These are more clutch time uh, base hits. Two outs with runners in scoring position. The Astros have had 14 at-bats out of the 24 with runners in scoring position. Guess how many hits they've gotten? One. Ooh, how about that, I guess? That was it. They've gotten one. They're hitting 071. So that right there, there's your difference. Yeah. And, again, the pitching and defense. And we go back to the defense, and it's easy 100%. to point out all two-base errors. But, I mean, that means the Rays are pitching tougher in those scenarios and, and obviously have the good defense Absolutely. behind them. Absolutely. Um, and, and some of that's the old, you know, the, the old Bull Durham, right? And, you know, one ground ball with eyes, one, you know, one, you know, Texas leaguer, one duck fart. Like, I mean, they don't have that. They haven't gotten that. And that's, you know, when you have a powerhouse pitching staff like the Rays do, it's harder to put the ball in play. And it's certainly harder to, uh, to get that Texas leaguer, that ground ball with eyes. And then you have guys, um, you know, diving over the railing in right field and breaking their knee. About and then, that. Yeah. Right. And then coming up the next inning and hitting a home run. So it's kind of like, or he hit a home run and then made the play. But either way, like when you see things like that, you almost feel like, you know, maybe a few years ago, the Astros were a team of destiny. I mean, you can't really put all of this on Altuve and all on the Astros. I mean, the Rays have to get a lot of credit for this. Um, as you Thank mentioned, you when, we get in, when, we, when we get into the thing, <laughs> We can talk about how specifically that affects uh, Altuve and the rest of the team in the clubhouse. But in terms of, 
um, I think we'll get locked in and maybe that's the levity or the, uh, the, the um, kind of the balance I'm supposed to bring to the podcast because we are very Astros heavy. Um, mm -hmm. Thanks to you and Astros heavy following and Astros heavy uh, podcast. And I just think it's easy to get upset at Altuve and yell at the Astros and um, say that they're not doing everything. But again, I'll go back to the pitching staff is doing more than they thought they would do. I mean, if, if I said without Granky, you're going to get into the sixth and seventh inning, you know, in a one run or two run game. I mean, awesome. other than yesterday with a, a, an only hitting guys, I mean, they have yeah. been great. That's right. And so I think that that's kind of above and beyond, especially with some of these young guys like Anoli and, you know, some of the starters like Urquidy can be a, a, a linchpin or a piece moving forward. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Valdez, Valdez, I think a couple of years ago, you mentioned him when we first started the podcast, that all he has to do is throw strikes and, and when he starts throwing strikes, he'll be solid. So anyway, these guys are going to gain a lot out of this series, but let's, let's make sure, you know, here I am again, the balance, let's make sure we give the Rays credit because they've done this all year. They had the best record in the American league and it's easy to sit here and go, Oh man, if Altuve makes that play, then we're winning the series three Oh, you know, and it's, it's not quite that simple, right? It changes oh, the yeah. luck. It changes the dynamic, but the Rays are kind of doing what they did all year to every team in the American league. No, and I, I, that, the reason I said, said that I'm grateful that Tuttle brought that up because I specifically made a note. I, we have to give credit where credit is due. Now, the fact that the Astros have made mistakes, and these are things that we've talked about too, great teams take advantage of mistakes. And the Tampa Bay Rays have been in the position to capitalize on those mistakes, and they have. So we do have to give their hitters credit, even though they're, you know, they're not hitting great in overall in, uh, in this championship series because the Astros are doing a very good job against them. It's the fact that when they have gotten the hits, they've gotten them in a great situation. I've got an important printout yeah, coming Important right document don't, coming in right now. Don't mind me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe but, that's uh, from, uh, maybe that's from James Click. You better go grab that. That might be my new contract. No, <laughs> serious but we have to give credit where credit is due and I and I firmly believe that Tuttle is exactly right about the pitching staff for the Tampa Bay Rays uh Diego Castillo has been a freak uh there's been a couple of you know Loop comes in throwing left-handed from down here you know and Yarbrough's throwing things from out here and all of a sudden you've got you know Tyler Glasnow way up here Charlie Morton's here and they've also got a couple of guys that come down here so it's not like you're going in there and going, okay, we've just got standard right-handed pitching, standard left. These guys bring a little bit of the funk and they bring the velocity with it. And uh, so that's where I, I really appreciate the fact that you did bring up the Rays because we do have to say they are playing better, uh, 100%. And I will say the second game, I think what kind of shows, and I'm not a big, we talked about this, we're not a big jinx or maybe a team of destiny. We did talk about um, chemistry in the clubhouse. But they brought in the pig again. I'm not even gonna start guessing at names because I've screwed up two names already today. But uh, the big tall right-hander that's had Tommy John twice, he came in, gave up Fairbanks, a wall. Yeah. yeah, Fairbanks. So he yeah, gave Fairbanks. up a wall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He gave Peter Pete Fairbanks or Peter Fairbanks. I'm pretty sure he gave up that first ball to the warning track. Mm -hmm. The next ball, Correa hit out 100, you know, uh, 500 feet. The next ball was a laser as well. <laughs> And the Rays got out of that inning only giving up that one run. I mean, that could have been, again, I'm not into the team of destiny and this is how it goes, but they brought him in in a close game. He gave up, you know, deep fly mm -hmm. ball to center that, you know, that Kiermaier had to bring, you know, didn't have to bring back in, but he, you know, had got, he got, you know, padding on his shirt. And then the next ball gets crushed. And then the next one's a laser and uh, he gets out of the inning and you're like, all right, um, that, you know, that again, 
And then the next inning, he punches out the side. So, I mean, you know, even when he was off a little bit, you have to take advantage of that and capitalize. And it just didn't happen. They hit the ball in the wrong place. And again, that's maybe a testament to the Rays um, pitching staff and, and, you know, maybe being the team of destiny. They, they had the best record in the American league. And I think uh, the Astros have a tough hill to climb. I know we haven't seen games for, for, you know, best of seven yet, but I I think it's probably uh, coming. Yeah, and, and the pain of the game is that baseball is maddening. You can do everything right and have nothing to show for it, and that's kind of where the Astros are at right now. But taking advantage of mistakes, uh, most notably Altuve making three errors in this series and them leading to big innings, uh, it's been the frustration. And in the clubhouse, when you see a guy make a bad throw, you go, dear God, I hope that's just one bad throw, like we saw in game two. And then we see in game three, there was another throw and another throw, and you start to go, oh, snap, this is heading in the wrong direction. And this is one of those things inside the clubhouse that you see happening, and you kind of, you see it, and you look at your buddy next to you, and you go, and you look at the guy to your right, and you go, are you, you know, with your eyes, you're saying, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And then everybody just gets real quiet, because you're like, I don't want to say the thing. Because the thing is dangerous, it's real, it's devastating, it can be awful, and it's, in, it's absolutely incredible to watch in person because it is so, it's so demonstrative. I've played golf with guys in a group where the, the guy can't chip because he's got the yips or he can't putt because they've got the yips. And you've literally, I played golf with a guy I knew had the yips on the, on the putting green and I went like this. Every time he putted because I felt like if I saw it, it was going to it like come through my ears and eyes and go into my skull and just corrupt me. So it has been painful to watch. And I hope that's not the case for Altuve. Um, have you ever seen anybody with the yips or with uh, the thing as they call it in baseball? Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that. I tried to think of the guys, right? So Mackie Sasser and Knobloch and then Rick Ankiel, most notably. Oh yeah. Uh, Ankiel. I just, forgot about it. He, I yeah, have a list of them. Ankiel's another guy. Well, yeah. Cause Ankiel came back and started winging stuff off the backstop. Like, you know, bull yeah, Durham. He was terrible and he from came, 60 feet, six inches, but from about 260 feet. Yeah. Darts. So then he went out to right field and he started hitting home runs. Like, yeah. So I didn't even get a chance to make the big leagues with my uh, first skill <laughs> pitching. And he made the big leagues as a pitcher and then decided, yeah, I can't throw the ball over the plate anymore so i'm gonna go hit home runs and play right yeah. field for a couple of years like dude that is whew, that's impressive that's impressive right so i mean those are the guys that stick out to me i have seen a guy yips on the putting green and i i look at it like you just made me think of another time is i remember when you would step off the mound and exchange balls with the umpire you're like mm-hmm. oh i don't like this ball and you throw it and you watch hitters they look down and they look away yeah and a lot of them were like they didn't want it to mess up their timing to watch this like eat this ball come in that's the yeah, same thing you it's feel true. like when you have a teammate like or somebody on the golf course have the yips, as soon as they go to you're like, I don't want to watch that. I, I think I think the mentality is interesting because I think field goal kickers can probably um, relate. And I think you talked about making an error and watching your guy go from first to second to yeah, third man. and around. And I'm glad that you personalize it because you know it is on you. But, you know, as a pitcher, I always felt like, look, my job is the next pitch, man. It's my job that guys, you know, I don't have control over what the third baseman does. I don't have, And then as I remember being a position player in high school or, you know, as you came on up, you always had that self-confidence of like, I mean, yeah, you made errors. Like I got a ground ball and I tried to, you know, throw it with a little extra mustard to first base and you short hop the guy. But like you said, your goal was to get the next ground ball. Yeah, I just want the next one. You know, I can get the next one and fire it over there. 
And I think where that stuff starts to creep in, and this is, you know, probably upbringing and a mentality. And, you know, some of these guys get to this level and they've never had the experiences before, but when you start making two or three errors, then it's that difference in mindset, the switch flips from wanting the next ground ball to not wanting the next ground ball. And as soon as you don't want that next ground ball, I mean, we yes, talked about what? it a little bit off air, but Altuve yesterday, I was watching TV at that point. I mean, Bregman and Correa, when they took uh, Urquidy out, they were just kind of standing there and they were talking to each other and Altuve walked up to kind of see what was going on and nobody said anything to him. And I think sometimes that's worse. If I yeah. like, hey, like Altuve, pull your head out of your ass. You're going to get the next one and you're going to turn it. Like, yeah, let's go. I would imagine like, you're almost like yell at me, beat me up, scream at me, punch me in the yeah. throat. Some, I mean, you know, get me out of what I'm in. Don't let me fester in it. Yeah, because then you start hearing like Chuck Knobloch. I remember that. Like he'd go into a sports psychologist in the off season. And like, I think when you get down to that road, it's, it's, you're in that recovering alcoholic stage, like where it's yeah. always just a step away, like one drink away. And I'm right back point. on that train and I'm thinking, you know, it seems like this is early. This isn't something he's ever dealt with before. They mm -hmm. got to pull his head out right now. Yeah, no, you, you really, you almost hope that the first three ground balls of game four go right at him and he throws three strikes and all of a sudden, hopefully we can just kind of take this thing up and throw it away and yeah. hopefully move on because, you know, it, it's tragic. And I've talked to guys who have had it. I have, I've, I've watched guys get it. I could, and you're probably the same way. I mean, if you were if you were at the ballpark and you know we threw a team out there, you could watch guys throw and be like, "That guy is a candidate for the thing." You know, he's almost in there. It's almost, uh, you know, I think. Oh man, I don't want to. I think it was Giovanni Soto was a catcher. He would always he would always throw with the off leg. So if you step with your left to throw, he would step with his right and throw it. And he would be on his knees and he'd throw it back to the pitcher and have to wipe the ground on the way back. It was just this weird technique. And, you know, you bring up uh, Chuck Knobloch. I've got Steve Sachs. Um, hopefully Jose Altuve doesn't ma make his way into this, but Mackie Sasser. Alan Ashby actually told me that he had it for a little bit. Um, John Lester can't pick, can't throw the ball to first base. I mean, he's a pitcher who can't, I mean, it's so bizarre to me, but, you know, but it's here. It's, it has nothing to do with you know, this, you know, it's all here. But uh, the funny thing about Mackie Sasser is he literally had a movie made of a character in a movie made about him, uh, you know, Rube mm -hmm. Baker from uh, major league two. There was a character based on Mackie Sasser's inability to throw the ball back to the pitcher. Crazy. But uh, you know, it's, it's not one of those things you talk about and it's tragic to watch because it takes, it takes forever if it goes away. Well, you tell us a little bit more about like what you said, um, you know, you made an error and you watched the guy go around the bases, but I mean, it obviously never crept in for you and it never crept in for me either. Like in terms of trying to throw, I mean, there were times when you threw a couple pitches and they went over the fence and then you threw another one and went over the fence and you're like, I don't want to throw another one over the plate. Like, you know, then you start <laughs> moving it around, like maybe you get a little tentative. Mm -hmm. But I mean, what do you think causes the mentality for someone to switch like Steve Sachs or Chuck Knobloch most uh, um, kind of notably because you made errors before you already mentioned that like I've made mm -hmm. errors before, but guess what I got the next two hopper and you know you fire it right over there like with, with a little extra mustard because you're confident and you fire it over there and you feel better you're like alright, it was this one time thing but I just yeah. think, I don't know how you would get over that precipice because you've been playing baseball your whole life. And I, I think I told you this before, my one 
kind of strong memory and I never had this, but you, you mentioned like being a rookie and getting out there was uh, I came into a big league game, the first big league game I ever pitched in in spring training and the bases were loaded and they got uh, Chris Bosio out of there. Like, hey, Chris, you've thrown enough pitches. We're bringing in this Tuttle kid and the bases are frigging loaded and I'm facing uh, Chris Singleton and, uh, <laughs> and I'll, you know, I mean, look, I can tell you everybody who was on base, what was happening. I mean, that's still ingrained mm-hmm. in my head and I threw a sinker and, you know, Sing- Singleton rolled over on it. He never seen me before. One hopper. I mean, a pretty, you know, solid. He barreled it up, but a one hopper right back into my glove. There was two outs. And I look over to first base and I tell you, the distance went. <laughs> like, um, Damn it. Uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. I can tell you who was playing first base, too. He was a catcher. It was the end of spring training game, right? So they have a yeah. catcher over first base. Um, anyway, I'll come up with them later. And I was like, man, he's he's so far away over there. <laughs> and I just remember kind of like, you know, tossing it over to first base and getting out of the inning. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, really, and I'm saying this not to talk about the story as much as say that's the, that's the feeling I remember that was as close to being, oh, shit, you know, like, how am I going to get this ball over there? Um, that's, the, that's the closest. But how does a guy like Altuve, who's a multi-time all-star and a hitter, and like, how does that? even creep in and i don't know i mean that's a lot of question but yeah but that that's a great question because i know in two i believe it was 2011 and 12 i know i was with the tampa i'm not tampa bay i was with the uh, arizona diamondbacks and you know i was towards the end of my career you know i had to hump up and throw it as hard as i could across the diamond you know from third base and we were in surprise i think we were yeah i think we were in surprise we were playing the kansas city royals some dude hit Huh? Spring training. Yeah, spring training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So spring I'm, training. Yeah, spring training with the Arizona like Diamondbacks. Surprise, yeah. And, uh, you know, it hits me a ground ball, and I just I just couldn't get it there. And it, like, you know, it looked like a dead fish getting over there, eats up the first baseman, air. I'm gone. Oh, damn. You know, I don't, I don't have it anymore. You know, that, that was more or less my thought at the time. And I was like, hey, pardon me, F this. You know, next ground ball to me, I'm, I'm going to air this out. I'm going to show that I still have an arm, not just to the people in my dugout who are relying on me, but for me. And, uh, you know, I come out, I didn't get another ground ball for like another two or three innings, but I remember in between innings, I was like aiming the ball. I was like, oh God, get to first. Uh-huh. And then uh, thankfully- I was going to say, I thought you were firing it over there to make sure- I thought I, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm going to chuck it. And all of a sudden I went, oh God. But uh, I got a ground ball, picked it up, threw a dart. And I was like, okay, you know, that's all I needed was that one more time to immediately shift the brain into the right lane and be able to make the throw. And I didn't have an issue the rest of the season, the rest of my career, but that was like just a brief glimpse at it. So I don't know what triggers it. Um, you're, you know, in the playoffs when Altuve's doing it, it's it's one thing to do it in the regular season. You know, you're kind of like, just one game. Now you're in the playoffs and every game, you know, is 50 games in one. If you lose, you know, you're losing a quarter of the games you're playing in one loss. So it's kind of tough in the sense that you realize the gravity. You're under this micros- microscope. Everything's exaggerated and he makes this error. And then the home run's given up and you're like, I didn't just give up one, I gave up three, you know? So, I mean, it, it just metastasize, you know, it just metastasize, metastasize just gets in there and starts to just gradually grow. It is, it is a little piece of brain that just cannot control the effect of, of horror and fear that seep in there. Yeah. And I think, so I think we've kind of, 
without being too scientific about it, we figured it out, but it is, it's mental, right? It's the old Yogi Berra quote, right? 90% of this game's mental, the <laughs> other 10% between your ears or whatever, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, there's a big mental component to this. And I'm just surprised that a guy of his stature, and maybe that's what makes this kind of the most, um, the most kind of um, apparent or egregious. You already brought up that it's not regular season, it's playoffs and it gets magnified. But again, the way that guys do that, like a field goal kicker who essentially, you know, Badgley the other night, they showed his face walking off the field. I mean, the Chargers, he hit the upright and they end up losing the game. And it's not yeah. his fault. There's a lot of components there. But what do you do? You go, you got to go out to practice the next day and start, you know, center cutting your kicks. And I think with someone like of, of Altuve stature, Correa, Bregman, those guys got to pick him up. Um, tell him to get his head out of his butt and that they trust him and that they love him. And, you know, that's, that's all they can do because I didn't see that yesterday on camera. And there is that little kind of gasp as a player, like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the thing is creeping in. No, 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 no. Like, Hey, Altuve, you're our guy. So um, it's easy for us to sit here on the sideline and say that, but I, I, I mean, this is definitely a mental thing and it certainly gets magnified in the playoffs, but right now is the time to nip it in the bud because if they don't, then maybe he comes into spring training next year and, you know, it could start all over again. And that, that would be really disappointing. Yeah, it would be disappointing. And it's really frustrating. And I actually love the fact that, you know, this is a team game in every aspect, even when you're going good, you want the slaps on the butt and the reassurance, but when things are going really bad, guess what? You need somebody to go over there and kind of throttle you a little bit and be like, okay, get back to who you are. And it is amazing because we talk about it a lot on this podcast about the mentality. We were both very good athletes, but there are guys that are just superior as far as talent. They're superior in the ability. The Kobe Bryant's, uh, you know, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, uh, you know, some of these guys that were able to do great things with their talent, but then just expand a little bit more. And a lot of it has to do with up here. And Altuve's got a MVP. He's got a World Series title. He's got a, you know, a couple hundred, it feels like, uh, postseason at bats. He has a gold glove. So how, that's what I think kind of surprises us more than anything is the fact that an, a perennial all-star can fall victim of this. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we've beat it to uh, a pulp here, but I will just say one last thing, which is that um, that, that confidence part, I, I said this before, I think that if we've talked about, you know, getting a chance to make the big leagues. And I always talk about the difference with spring training for players like me. It was like, Hey, if I went in there and I did something in spring training, you know, maybe I raised some eyebrows or maybe I got somebody to look at me. Whereas when you've been there and done that, as you already mentioned, MVP, all-star, you know, batting titles. I mean, the resume goes on and on and on. I mean, his leash is really long and that can work in his favor and maybe not like nobody's like, get him out of there. Like, you know, cause he comes up and hits a home run next inning. But to your point, because he has such a long leash, <laughs> he's mm-hmm. going to be in the lineup today. And oh, yeah. if that first ground ball comes to him and he screws it up. It's like, dude, I mean, they've got to, as you said, this is a team game in that regard. Um, and everybody likes the accolades, but this is a time for his trusted teammates to uh, pull together and, uh, and, you know, make it right. Yeah, and I know we have killed this, but one thing I'm, I just want to, you know, everybody, we talk about not talking about it in the clubhouse. We talk about being a good teammate and lifting the guy up and saying, hey, snap out of it kind of thing. It blew my mind after that game, that out the first game, the second game of the, that, where Altuve made the error, Dusty Baker li- literally said, I hope he doesn't get the yips. Oh, my gosh. I could not believe he said that. 
Yeah, we've talked about unwritten rules with bean balls, right? And who throws at who. We've <laughs> no talked hitters. about un unwritten rules with no hitters, like who says what here. And when you say it, this is a big one. As you said, you don't use the Y word for sure, yips or the thing. That's why I've been calling it the thing the whole podcast. But you yeah. certainly don't want your manager speaking on a Zoom call with everybody saying, hey, I hope he doesn't have the yips. I mean, maybe that's oh, the no. 70. The, finally, the 70-year-old Dusty Baker appears because, as you said, he's such a good guy and he's, a, he's very well-respected in the clubhouse. Um, but when he started talking about how good of friends he is with Joe Morgan and Joe Morgan was 77, um, you know, maybe Dusty's a little bit uh, more removed from the uh, situation and the comfort level that, than, we, uh, than we originally thought. Yeah, and uh, let's move on. Speaking of comfort level, we saw something extremely uncomfortable uh, that happened to the Dallas Cow Cowboys starting quarterback, Dak Prescott. And I'm truth be told, I'm not a Cowboys fan. Truth be told, Dak Prescott was my number one quarterback putting up points for me. And that's why I was watching the game before I saw the tragic end to a season when uh, his right ankle was snapped and he had a compound fracture and uh, a myriad of other things going on in there. And apparently the successful surgery, but I was truly impressed. You know, the, the reason I use the word tragic is because I really feel like he was a good quarterback. I feel like he had a, an extended future in football. And I also feel like he wasn't given his due as far as contracts are concerned. I'm on the side of, man, that guy should have gotten broken off and gotten one of these Mahomes or Deshaun Watson or, you know, one of these types of deals, because I believe he's in that upper echelon. That's why I say it's tragic. But it was amazing to me to see the outpour of love and respect that he got throughout the entire NFL. And some of the reaction of, the, of his teammates almost got to me more than the actual injury itself, considering you know, how they reacted and what kind of impact it had on those guys. Yeah, I was watching that game. I had a little uh, <clears throat> Giants plus nine and a half in that game. So okay. I wanted, wanted to watch that game. But, uh, but you know, you, you bring up a good point. I mean, when, I, when he went down, it's that weight thing where the guy just kind of puts his weight on him to drag him down. And I didn't think, I mean, like compound practice, I'm not a doctor, but I knew he had dislocated his ankle. You know, the way he sat there, he was oh like, my oh, gosh. And they can just pop it back in. But obviously, there were some other uh, issues there, fractures and things. And, um, and I agree with you. I, I've actually heard some pundits say, you know, that the outpouring and the respect and all that stuff was something that was pretty, um, pretty unusual in the league, especially yeah. when you see it from other teams. And there were some, uh, I think Cameron Jordan from the Saints said something that they felt like um, that he was one of their brothers anyway, and that you can see from the outpouring that they thought he had not gotten the contract he deserved. But I have heard today recently that this could actually help his contract status um, in that they can give him franchise one more year and then he's a free agent the year after that. And he's going to be healthy in about six to eight months. So next mm -hmm. season he'll be ready to go. Man, and huge. I think, you know, I think maybe even the outpouring. So hopefully He'll get his due. It sounds like he's a fantastic team leader. And, and, yeah. and as you already pointed out, the reason you brought this up is selfishly, and he was your fantasy quarterback. And so there are plenty of broken hearts in fantasy this, uh, this week. And, um, but I think, like you said, it's for the people. Did you end up winning your game anyway? Is that why you're – Oh, yeah, I kicked the piss out of somebody. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I, <laughs> yeah. I had I am such bad luck. Four wins, one loss, and I'm picking up every quarterback on the waiver wire this week. <laughs> I'm two and three. If you want to trade me, I've got three. I've got Minshew, Jared Goff, and Aaron Rodgers. So well, how about, hit me up if you want. Uh, you know, as I'm going, scrolling through and dropping, you know, all these guys, I have an open roster spot on my team. 
Um, actually, I picked up Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill for the Titans. Did you see what he did last night? Yeah, yeah, but you didn't put him in your lineup. So. Yeah, I was like, dang, all of a sudden I, I might look like a genius. And yeah, uh, you, you, know who, you know who else I like is uh, the Herbert kid for the L.A. Oh, Chargers yeah. now. Yeah, I was yeah. really impressed with what he does, and his decision-making is actually incredible. I thought that was a well, lot of fun Well, that's going to be – that should bode well for the Chargers. You know, I think it's funny. Nobody said this on Monday night, and they're always so careful because Lewis Riddick is a uh, you know, former coach with, with Anthony Lynn. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to throw Lewis under the bus in the sense that, that that's why he said it. But there's only one, like, common denominator here with they've lost, you know, 17 like one you know one one possession or like yeah yeah, one score games in the last two years like anthony lynn just doesn't have the like every week it's the same like yeah well you know the kid looked good out there charging up the hill but you just don't take it yeah yeah like let's go we gotta we gotta win some games man but herbert looked good it's funny that you said that in my other fantasy league i played this week a guy who was four and oh and i was three and one and um, I beat him, but he had Dak Prescott as a starting quarterback. Oh, wow. Um, and the guy he had on the bench was Herbert. And now that he'll probably <laughs> flip-flop it, right? So Herbert had all the points and uh, yeah. ended up getting the W. But, you know, injuries happen. I mean, Melvin Gordon just got a DUI. He oh, killed so me last injuries, week because yeah. I had him in my lineup. And then the game got switched, and I forgot to plug in somebody for him. Anyway, I'm, I'm struggling with this COVID stuff, like who's oh. on a buy and who counts and who doesn't. I had to drop Dude. a guy on my team just to add a guy from, you know, I'm, I'm lost. So No, I've, I've done the same thing. I'm going to get – okay. if I win the championship, I'll probably have to pay myself to win the championship because all the waiver moves I made, it's been ridiculous. Because I'm the same way. I'm like, can I get him now? Do I get him now? What, why isn't he playing? Anyways, yeah. it's been yeah. a mess. But uh, I'll, you know, get well soon, Dak Prescott, just because yep. – not just a fantasy guy, but you're, you're a fun player to watch, uh, whether you're a Cowboys fan or not. What'll, well, and nobody wants to see anything like that. No, no injuries, no, 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 right? I mean, it God, doesn't matter. No. It doesn't, true. we're joking about that. And I was giving yeah. you a hard time. But, no, it's true. you know, there are people get on Twitter, our lovely Twitter fans that get on and like, oh man, my fantasy team's going down the toilet. It's like, dude, he just broke his ankle. Yeah, he's worried about what he's going like, to, you know, how he's going to make a career out of this. God. Come on, dude. All right. What'll Tuttle say? All right. Hopefully short and sweet today. Um, didn't do a lot of planning, but I, I had kind of thought about this when we did the, uh, the American League Championship Series uh, preview show with TK. Um, and I think it's really interesting to start getting into the science of uh, why when we look at the Tampa Bay Rays staff, they're doing what they're doing. And I think, you know, way back in the day, Roger Bannister uh, from England, they were talking about the four minute mile and they said, oh, that's impossible. We're never going to run a four minute mile. And the guy ran a friggin' four minute mile. Um, CrossFit, which we've talked about on this uh, podcast pretty extensively, maybe not as a sport, but certainly as a fitness regimen, but there's kind of a sport to it. And they, the, um, kind of the peak of physical, um, achievement in CrossFit was a uh, 500 pound back squat and a five minute mile. So, um, we had a guy do it. There was a guy that did it. Two guys did it last week. And this has been around for like five years as a goal. Yeah. And then the guy did 50 unbroken pull-ups after that. So the goal was to do it in one day. He didn't do it and then run, but he basically, he'd been training to run a five minute mile. Um, did he run it? Dude. It's not five, it's sub five. So it was like a 457, is that right? Or a 458 mile? Uh, yeah. That, so, there, there, there's certain things that I can't process. That's one of them. Right. 
Well, CrossFitters are, t they tend to be different than baseball players, basketball players, and swimmers. So uh, the ideal CrossFit body is like 5'8", like 210, right? I mean, these guys are oh, like, just fire like a fire hydrant. Yeah. 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 And some of them are more graceful than others, but this guy trained running. And so the way he ran the mile on a track was he had a rabbit. So he chased this track athlete for three laps. And then the fourth lap, they brought in a fresh guy that could sprint and he chased him too. But oh, the guy wow. was dying. So six hours later, he proceeded to get 505 pounds on the back squat rack and squatted down below parallel and got up with it. So um, I bring all this up and what'll Tuttle say to say, hey, look, there's no way you can do a four minute mile. There's no human being that can run a you know sub five minute mile and back squat 500 pounds and then do 50 pull-ups. Well, we've just blown that out of the water. When I, you know, when I played, you know, that voice, mm -hmm. when I played, you know, look, I got drafted. I had um, talent. We've talked about being good athletes before, but you know, 92, 93, 94, that was like, that's where, that was good velo, you know, and you had a strong arm and, but watching the Rays, man, these guys, 98, 99, a hundred, they're like, Oh, I mean, I said this on the championship series that the average fastball in that game uh, that the uh, Rays beat the Yankees when Chapman pitched as well, the average fastball miles an hour was 96.7, 96.7 from all total, like every pitcher. <laughs> Like, dude, 96.7. That's the average. So I say all this, and it'd be interesting to talk about you and your, your old man days or what you see too. But, um, like, this is just another thing. People talk about the uh, detriment of, like, these perfect game tournaments. And the area code games were just kind of an all-star thing back when I played. You know, in the area code games, mm -hmm. there was Chris Pritchett and Joel Wolf and, you know, <laughs> Phil Nevin and yeah. uh, you know all these guys playing in the area code games like hey let's get it get together play against these guys now they have these perfect game tournaments where scouts go and you watch these guys and this guy's 17 years old and he's had two tommy john surgeries he had a tommy john when he was 14 now he's had one at 16 he's throwing 95 miles an hour as a 17 year old kid and so you're just wondering like what what's the bar like where are they going to put the bar and who's going to break through the next barrier i mean it's just unbelievable so a couple of years ago, we'd say we just won't see guys without steroids or without some enhancement just out there throwing 98, 99 miles an hour. And we see it every single night at the back end of the bullpen and sometimes in the starting rotation when you have your guys like Garrett Cole come out there. And I just thought, you know, what, when, where's the ceiling? Is there a ceiling? I have no idea. But the science and the, the wherewithal and the ability is just continuing to get better and better and better. Yeah. No, and I have no problem. I mean, we, we were good in our day. These guys are better. And I yep. mean, that's just a simple fact that we all need to uh, settle in and realize that they're <laughs> getting bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we, still we're with our, with what we did, we're trying to wrap our head around how they're hitting the ball 500 feet or 475 or these exit velos or the just absolute uh, fuel they're bringing out of the bullpen because uh, you know, watching what they're doing, I'm like, yeah, there's no way I could do what they're doing. So I just appreciate what they're doing. And it's just amazing that you, you don't see one guy. You see, like Tuttle is saying, you see four or five guys go out there, do it. And then you see four or five guys do it on, an, on a night. And that's what's even more amazing to me. But uh, I've got no problem saying that my time has passed me by, that these guys are bigger, better, and faster. And that's actually a good segue into uh, Blum's, my, my one blast I have today. Your surprise good. blast, Blummer. I'm, yep, I'm on the my, edge of my seat, literally. Yep, and this is the surprise. I'm not as good as I once was, but I've moved careers. And I'm now sitting in the booth. And if you remember, I talked oh. about this a while ago. Yeah. 
Here it is. Oh, it does look like an Emmy. Woo! That is my Lone Star Emmy. And I'll hold nice. it up nice and close so you can see my name is actually on it. Golf clap. And I would like to thank my mom, all my friends out there, the, the Bleacher Blums crowd, and the, my co-host, David clear for making this happen. <laughs> Be clear that you did not win that Emmy for this podcast. Is Today I called uh, G-Man, just said know, it right here G-Man, G-Man Choi, right? I messed that up. For us. That's not going to get us another title. <laughs> no, we're not going to get an Emmy for that. Will you get no. your statistics in front of you, sir, please? No. So there it is. Ladies and nice. gentlemen, the Emmy Congrats. lives. It will be forever in the background of our podcast, I think. Did, did you have a, you think, until somebody dusts it or knocks it over and breaks it? Yeah. Um, what, uh, until you leave it on the printer and then it falls off. <laughs> yeah, nice, Plumber. What, uh, what kind of awards show or presentation? Did they do a Zoom award show and then mail you the thing, or how did that work? I think it was a phone call. I don't know. They might have done it Zoom, but I think we were calling a, we were calling a game at the time. So we actually, oh. right before we went on air, we actually got it. So this is... And just so we specify, Lone Star Regional Sports Emmy, Outstanding Achievement in Sports Event, Game, Live, Unedited, pro, unedited Program, Special or Series, Houston Astros Game Broadcast. So that includes uh, myself, Todd Callis, Julia Morales, our director, Paul Bykowski, and our producer, Carl Patterson. So we all got our Emmy. And I, I, I may drive around the city with this thing and just walk into Costco and be like, hey, can I, where are the eggs at? Oh, can you show? Yeah. Okay, this is Miami. <laughs> That's great. It sounds like it was a team effort, but it's well-deserved. I love when they say unedited. You tell me they edit you all the time, so that's really funny. I was going to say, I'm not going to tell everybody that they pull my mic every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, good podcast. Uh, I was actually listening to the Jocko Willink podcast today, and oh my gosh, I wanted to you know just jump out of the car and run through another brick wall for this dude. But uh, we always praise the military. We always praise first responders, frontliners. But listen to Jocko Willink if you're into the military, like Tuttle and I are. But, uh, you know, in this, in this time that we are in, and we talked about our campaign T-shirts being on BleacherBlums.com and CrushCityTees.com, kind of tongue-in-cheek. But, uh, you know, history gets skewed a little bit, and I think we've kind of lost sight of that. But we have also lost sight of how we got our freedom. So, He's reading a book about being a leader and a commander, and it's written by General Bruce Clark. And there were a couple of lines in the first 15 minutes of this podcast where I was like, good Lord, this guy wrote this right after World War II, and it still, it still feels like it resonates greatly now. But just a couple of, uh, couple of lines right here. Only when men from all of the people are willing and ready to fight and die for freedom does freedom have meaning for them. Only then does democracy thrive. That is the inexorable lesson of history. And how about this? We talk all the time about elite athletes being the 1% that make it to the big leagues. Do you realize that only 1% of our population is our military and works for that freedom for us? Just keep that in mind. Lummer, nothing to follow up with that. I would encourage everybody to listen to this podcast. Thanks, guys. Keep downloading. Um, we're on Social Noster Network. Go to bleacherblums.com, anywhere you get your podcast. But as Blummer just said, if that doesn't motivate you to get after it and believe it, I don't know what will. 